From the PSIA ASI studios in Lakewood, Colorado, I'm George Thomas. You're listening to First Chair, the next in our 60th anniversary series. We're going to be talking about the creation of Ozzy. Now, when PSIA's seven founders sat down to form the Professional Ski Instructors of America in May 1961 at Big Mountain in Whitefish, Montana, I did that without taking a breath. They had one goal, to create a standard of consistency for ski instruction that it would help draw new participants to the sport from across the nation. And now, six decades later, PSIA ASI teaches everyone how to enjoy more than just alpine skiing, welcoming every snow sports discipline, ability, and person to the sport. Each winter, PSIA ASI members embrace the opportunity to create lifelong adventures through education. And today, we cover one of the six of the most notable teaching benchmarks from the past 60, 60 years with David Alden and Randy Price, who are going to be speaking about the foundation of AASI. David, Randy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Thanks. George. Glad to be here. So, tell I mean, I, I love this introduction for this show because... I mean, in 1961, snowboarding wasn't on the mind of any of those seven founders. Uh, wasn't a sport at the time. When did this come about, and I mean, when did you guys get interested in snowboarding? Randy, let's start with you. Um, I was in college in, in Durango at Fort Lewis, and I was a ski instructor. I was the youngest ski instructor, so I learned to snowboard because I was the youngest one, and they, let, they told me like, they'd pay me to learn. I had no desire to be a snowboarder, and it took me just a few days, and I was hooked. And that was before turf boards even really turned very much. <laughs> David, how about you? Um, I go back just a little bit further. When, um, I got a snurper in 1968. Holy cow! Got pretty... Uh, I was just passionate about this toy that I had, but stuck with it and eventually ran into the winter stick group which was a uh, one of the earliest companies um in the cottonwoods in in the wasatch mountains and um have been involved ever since so i go back to the um earliest snurfer so i think this yeah. is year 54 for me or something like that wow. wow now randy you said you were the youngest ski instructor when you started snowboarding did you immediately start teaching I did. I was. We were teaching snowboarding within about a week. It was the, the learning curve. <laughs> if, if you had a snowboard, you, then you could teach snowboarding. <laughs> and what was that like? I mean, to be teaching. Uh, I'm assuming this is kind of midish '80s. Yes. Yeah. So you're teaching skiing, and you have some kind of structure there. Um, which, yes, we did have structure in the 80s. <laughs> but then you go to snowboarding, and, and how did you put your teaching together at that point? Because there was no ASI. No, and it was really just kind of progressions of figuring out how to not, you know, get hit or run into people. We, you know, the first thing that we worked on was trying to get a board to turn on hard pack because all the boards back then, or most of them had skegs in them. Mine had five metal skegs, like a surfboard. So they were literally rockets you know, the, the skeg would stick down in the snow and then just send you hurtling straight so we started putting popsicle sticks under them to raise them up higher so the tail of the board could skid around a little bit and eventually just threw the skegs away but it it really was just a progression of you know how and the big thing for us was getting a chairlift you know you, you had to be able to go that 
20 or 30 feet without crashing because the four people behind you were going to run into you if you didn't. Wow. Now, David, you were on a snurfer in 1968, so you were like two years old, and you've no, been doing no, that was, all your life. <laughs> I was six, and, and of course it wasn't snowboarding back then. It was the, um, but it was standing sideways on, on a, a curved stick and turning left and right and stopping, and uh, that counted for me. So, um, but but the instruction didn't start until much 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 later, and I I was living up at Berthet Pass in Colorado uh, when that was a function ski area, and had a long personal history up there, and because I was up there every day snowboarding, um, the owner would come to me who uh, Ike Garst, kind of a legend in the Colorado ski community and the snowboard world, um, would ask me would just catch me in the parking lot and asked me if I would take someone out who was requesting a lesson. So uh, it was at, uh, anyone who knows Berthet Pass, it's a very rugged place to be. Um, it's right on the Continental Divide and at uh, 12,000 feet and uh, not, not an ideal place for teaching. Um, but that's how I started was just being grabbed in the parking lot by Ike and asked to uh, take a paying customer out. And David, you didn't have any ski instruction background. He just knew you as a snowboarder who was up there, and he asked you to teach. Uh, that's true, but I had skied my entire life passionately. Um, uh, while I started snowboarding uh, very, very early, um, I came from a skiing family and uh, had been through countless ski lessons and uh, had admired ski in instructors as a kid. And that was uh, always uh, one of those childhood fantasies that one day I could be a, a cool ski instructor. So it was sort of in my blood and I had a real awareness around how skiing was taught and how it was done and how it was done well and how it was done poorly. So, but I did not know that that's true. I was just another scummy, you know, kind of uh, really rough <laughs> snowboarder. And, that's a, and uh, so that's how the snowboard instruction started. Now, Randy, I hope you picked up that David said I wanted to be a cooler ski instructor. I, I, I didn't miss that. <laughs> <laughs> that's why Ozzy Forbes, because we were cooler ski instructors. <laughs> now, I'd love to get both of your thoughts on this uh, and then get really more into the foundation of AASI, but... You know, one of the things that really sticks out to me that I'd love to just chat with you for a little bit about was how this has changed with children's instruction in snowboarding. Because in 86, when I started, you didn't teach kids how to snowboard. Then it was, oh, you can't teach a kid until they're eight. And then it became six. And I was at Bulgaria at Interski a couple of years ago and watching this 18-month-old in a riglet park biggest smile on her face she was having a blast on a snowboard I, I had my two five-year-olds out today on snowboards and this is their fourth year wow nice job randy nice job uh, i have to admit um uh maybe i should uh keep this to myself but i i was um my son's now 18 when he was two it was time to get him on the snow and I chose skiing uh, really out of um, that sort of belief that they were better off on skis um, for that first year. It didn't take him long. Uh, like 
a season or two before he was snowboarding uh, nearly exclusively. But I, I did start mine out on skis and, and, but there's just nothing that makes me happier as I'm on the mountain every day to see these little kids. I don't care if they're on skis or snowboards, but just a little kid outside on the mountain, there's, there's nothing cuter and more rewarding. Uh, so I, I think it's awesome. Kids are starting snowboarding day one. Young, right. And just little kids on the mountain, like said, David said, there's the little kids around, it's our sport's future. You got to have it out there. So let's get into the foundation or the uh, creation of AASI and how that came to be. Yeah, I'm looking at both of you uh, virtually and <laughs> just imagining you starting your careers as instructors really with no, uh, really not a lot of guidance going there. How did this come to be? What, what happened? How did, it, how did it really start to grow with snowboard instruction? And again, Randy, let's start with you on that. Well, really, I mean, you picked the wrong guy. Dave's on that was on that first group of people that were brought together, and he he and his peers there are the ones that set the foundation for for where all the skills we were going to teach and learn in clinics and stuff. And it, and it really drove snowboard instruction for the first at least ten years. What those guys came up with, I think it was at Mount Hood, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it um, that was our first on snow get together with. PSIA aficionados and um, to me real celebrities Jerry Warren and Tom Long and, and Yuri Wagner and um, uh, so yeah it did start at Hood you know in the, I think to go to your question in in the earliest days of instruction I, it boiled down to um, equipment management because the equipment was so prehistoric, but also someone could really show up with only a, um, uh, if they had a board that was just a few years old, it could just have rubber straps rather than real bindings. And there was really no telling what kind of bindings or board they might be on. It might be um, something rideable or something entirely unrideable because there was a lot of that available. But of course, no one knew when they walked into their local bike shop to rent a snowboard or film processing shop or wherever people rented their earliest snowboards. So it was really about just making sure that they were set up right and that they had chosen their stance, either regular or goofy, which I'm not sure if it's still a conversation, but back in the day, it was, it was huge. That was a bit of a head scratcher. Yeah. And, um, and, and no one agreed. Up, <laughs> and then again, and no one agreed. <laughs> yeah, and everyone had a different um, sort of, uh, it was almost like dousing rods, finding water. Everyone had their own superstitions about whether you are a regular foot or a goofy foot and how to determine it. But so it, it was sort of a soft start on instruction where you were really just trying to create a manageable experience for somebody. And at the mountains we were allowed to ride at, they were almost always... Um, with the exception of Stratton, they were almost always difficult, sort of off the beaten trail, maybe mom and pop, um, mountains like Mount Baker and Berthoud Pass and, um, and Wolf Creek. Yeah. Wolf Creek. Yep. And some of those, the, the, just the nature of the mountain didn't lend itself to an easy day learning to snowboard in the sunshine. Um, 
And from that, I think we quickly, there was a group of us, at least my experience was I very quickly knew many years before this, that there was very little difference between my skiing and my snowboarding. And that really, I felt the same from the waist up, um, regardless of which of the sports I was doing. And it was just some, not that different mechanics from the waist down um, to be snowboarding or skiing. And so I transitioned some of my ski knowledge to snowboarding pretty easily. Um, When it came time to write the first manual, which was really just a a personal project for me. I didn't have, uh, honestly, I, I was kind of thinking about selling it for $10 a copy and I hope to sell 40 or 50 copies and I'd be set for the season. Um, I really wasn't thinking PSIA or standardization or anything. Um, but really it was just a direct rip off from uh, a PSIA manual that I somehow had on my bookshelf. Um, and I took everything that was common from, in my experience from skiing, and then the pieces were in place. I took my snowboard knowledge and uh, with all the work that had been done previously by um, the author, well, by the PSIA and the author of this particular manual. And uh, it came together pretty easily. Um, now, in getting everybody on the same page, Um, at the meetings and at the Mount Hood event and at the subsequent events, that was a very different subject. Um, But we had a starting point once that manual was written. Now I have to say... That was the snowboard skiing manual, right? Yeah, that's an interesting little uh, side story to it. As we worked on it, um, well, the title of my first was Introduction to Snowboard Instruction, and then I evolved that to um, snowboard instruction manual. And we then through a whole series of events and and the support of just really, um, I think, I don't know if visionary is too strong a word, but definitely some risk takers at PSIA, Um, guys that were really buried in, from my point of view, not buried, but were, were part of this really disciplined pure purist um uh not exactly snowboard embracing organization for uh this this group of people in the northwest division and the rocky mountain division of psia they stepped up and really held our hand while we uh, took it from sort of its rough beginnings to something teachable. Anyway, we put all this work in, and when the first draft came out, and I've uh, got it here in my hand, it was titled Professional Ski Instructors of America Snowboard Ski Instruction Manual. And it caused a hurry. <laughs> it did. I was at the tip of the spear on that one. Um, because I had not and there was a lot of work by a lot of people and uh, that went into this. And they, they really blindsided us with that. I think with, um, uh, with pragmatism in mind. And I, but anyway, that was a, a little moment in time that, uh, that showed, I mean, even at the first meeting far prior to, um, we, we had a meeting in the Rocky Mountain Division out at the headquarters 
um, which was the very first sit-down meeting with PSIA, and half of that was spent discussing whether the sport should be called snowboarding or ski boarding. Yep. And it, um, it was a it, it was a big distraction to that conversation, but that's where the mindset of PSIA was at the time, or at least that was certain voices within it that we could do this as long as we um, more than parallel, but almost um, blurred the lines between the two sports, which makes a right. ton of sense now, but culturally at the time, it um, made no sense. It, yeah. it didn't make sense. And so when, when the snowboard ski instruction manual came out, it, it was ironic, but um, <laughs> it, it was a step-by-step -step process. I've got to say now, you listed three guys whose names came up in another interview that I did, the skills concept with Mike Porter and yeah. Jens Husted, and that was the ski national team that went to Interski in uh, 1975, I think it was, 74, and everything was very structured with the Austrians, the Swiss, the French, the Italians, and the American team went over there. They were the renegades. They were rebels. And they went out and they had fun. They put it together. And it was like, let's put fun and instruction. And it seems to me like you couldn't have had three better people at that event than the three that you named. Because their attitude was about, let's make sliding on snow fun. Am I even well, close? I Am I in the ballpark there? Absolutely. I appreciate you sharing that story. I, that's not a story I knew. I assume you're talking about Jerry Warren, Tom Long, and Max Lundberg or Yuri Wagner. Which you is got him. <laughs> that, that gaggle. Well, uh, there were others. Um, uh, Dave, Dave Whitmore, who I don't think is uh, he. He was the president of the Northwest BSIA, and he was one of the first guys to say to really open his mind. Um, Dave Hamilton and Rocky Mountain, if I remember. Um, was Tim Petrick part of that group? Maybe he was a little younger than that group. He was younger than that group, but I sure see him in that group. So he, uh, he wrote a letter at one point, um, I'm sure privately, between himself and to Jerry Warren. Um, and I've never seen that letter, but it's a legendary letter. Um, saying, why don't you take a look at this? And at the time, Jerry was running, uh, Jerry Warren, I take Jerry like he's my best friend, um, Mr. Warren to me, um, <laughs> I think at the time uh, was a big deal at Snowbird and PSIA. And uh, that was a big time. Um, but what a special group of skiers that entire list was. I was really influenced by them. Uh, first and foremost, Yuri Wagner, um, just an incredible human and uh, someone who, who really changed. If any single person made this happen um, in the early days, it was Yuri Wagner. He's the one that drugged the load to the finish line and working with a bunch of really flaky, really <laughs> young, semi-literate um, snowboarders who only half cared about what we were doing. And uh, <laughs> any, I don't know what Yuri's doing now, but, uh, what, a, what a, a special guy that he, he is. This is just fascinating to me. I'm, I'm loving this. What? How did you grow together to become part of a team and then end up going to Interski in uh, 1991? Um, 
And, and Randy, please chime in. I know that you stepped in here. Uh, I think I remember on nearly the event that I met you, and you became a a really uh, uh, strong force in the whole effort. And it, it was a long process to get from um, a conversation at the Lakewood Marriott or wherever we had that initial mm-hmm. meeting with um, with the Rocky Mountain Division to Interski. But it was that group of men who we've talked about who sat down and said, this really could be the future. And not a lot of people believed that about snowboarding at the time, or not the future, but part of our future. And uh, they set up a program where um, they put out the call to manufacturers. PSA had no money to support this effort. So they depended on the manufacturers um to provide riders who they thought would fit the bill and that the manufacturers would sort of pay the way um financially i was lucky enough to be riding for burton they had means so i was in and so yuri scheduled uh, uh several clinics where several different um voices um in the instruction community voiced their opinions and we came to some agreement and we put it all on paper and we had uh, a series of on snow events there was a lot of controversy along the way because a lot of people wanted to be included but weren't because the train was rolling and uh, a side story yuri had to write an open letter to the psia which published in all of the regional newsletters um I read it today. It's just a fascinating letter saying, we're doing our best here in the industry. I know a lot of you feel left out, and a lot of you think we're doing the wrong thing, but hang with us. And uh, and and they did uh, through this time. Uh, anyway, we had 13 riders, and Randy, were you part of that original 13? Um, I, was, I was not. I came in right after that. Yeah, so we had 13 riders who were slated to be examined on snowboards by skiers. And meaning we would be certified as examiners, or, or I'm not sure certified is the right word, but we would be um, promoted, so to speak, to examiner, but we would, would be examined ourselves by skiers. And it maybe now that doesn't seem like that big a deal, but at the time it was really ironic. And... Uh, and they indeed um, uh, gave a certain number of us the designation of examiners, and we then went out and certified Randy's generation, that, which was like ten minutes behind us. He was right, you know, it was like the next year. <laughs> it was like the, the, that next year at the first first exam. I think you read it at Breckenridge. Yes. It was in my group. There was this one old guy. And he kind of snowboard pretty well, but he was really cool. And I walked up. I'm like, I need to know your story. And so we wrote a chair together, and it was Doug Pfeiffer. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm like, oh. I've oh, I you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember that? <laughs> he might have been there. Yeah. Um, so that's how it went down. And then it, it became pretty clear through that process that there were only – there was a limited number of group. There was a limited limited number of riders who sort of demonstrated a a PSAA style of riding. 
however you want to characterize that styles and snowboarding at the time and and to some extent currently um though not as much at the time it was all over the place and and really the way that you rode and i think relative to this conversation the way that you taught really had to do with the mountain you came from and the terrain you rode and sort of your personal style and so things were all over the map and and uh, through a, a process of elimination that i suppose yuri and those guys could speak to more authoritatively jane mauser and i jane um was part of this right from the start a gifted female rider a gifted rider period she happens to be female um and but just was a, a really serious rider with with a very special um way of riding her board and just super clean and super technical and we were selected to go to saint anton as part of inner ski and i i can't even remember i think it was 1991 um and coincidentally it was the same year that telly was introduced and so if you think uh, jane and i seem like this snowboarders seem normal compared to the telly team they brought (laughs) (laughs) really uh, 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 just um i think objectively insane group of people and we had the time of our lives it was just a blast and it was fun being the new kids um and we were a mile ahead of the europeans or anyone on the planet at the time in terms of snowboarding and telly and we just put on a real show and uh we we felt great about the whole process so i think that's as quick as i can sort of boil down from a a hotel in Lakewood to St. Anton, Austria. So how were you accepted by the other national teams? Oh, people were going nuts. It was just at the at that moment in time when everyone felt snowboarding everywhere around them. Snowboarding was happening, especially in Europe. Um, and and it, just the excitement level. And it's the only inter-ski I've ever been to. Um, but, you know, it ranked right up there with World Cup, snowboard events and world cup ski events i've been to it was an exciting event and uh enthusiasm for both new sports being in was was uh, added to it now the similarities here to psia are blowing me away and randy i i want to go back to something you said before we started recording but uh dave david you just said how you know snowboard instruction was really a lot of your personality, who you are, what mountain you were from. And again, Mike Porter and Jens Husted were talking about skiing in the early days uh, before PSIA came in and really was able to uh, get divisions unified and and uh, some more structure there. But it was people were advertising their mountains ski school and really showing this uniqueness to their ski school. And it, it's almost verbatim what you just said with skiing. And I'm loving the history here because it's so similar. Um, but Randy, you said earlier that, you know, snowboarders uh, at one point really wanted to be individual and uh, more unique than, say, the, the PSIA division. And now we've become one team. Why do you, why do you think we've gone this this cycle? The of, circle. The yep, circle. Yep. <laughs> But I think at the beginning, I mean, when I, when I got involved, 
every skier you talk to still considered us a fad. Like it was gonna, it, it probably would burn out by the end of the year, or mainly, hopefully, it would burn out by the end of the year. Is how they looked at it. <laughs> and you know, the snowboarders were passionate. They were having fun. They were doing crazy things. They, it, it, you know, they were they were flying and lo- loving life. And the skiers were very buttoned up. And you looked at the outfits that the skiers wore, and it was all tight and angular. And the snowboarders, sadly, were neon and baggy, but they could have lost the neon. And it was freedom and fun, and we we wanted we wanted to be separate. We wanted to be different. And I remember when the, the first group I got into with, with with PSIA was the PSIA national team, and I'm, I'm still very proud of that patch. It's cool. And then halfway through that group, they they talked about forming a new group, and we were ecstatic with the concept of it. And you know, literally, it didn't take maybe two or three groups you know so four eight maybe eight years later that the snowboarders and the skiers were back to wanting to hang out together we were all doing the same thing and talking the same lingo it didn't take as long as i would have guessed but that that separation i I believe it needed to happen i think it really it it helped snowboard instruction grow a lot we we were able to go out and and think for ourselves and, and make mistakes and you know come up with bad ideas and luckily we had good skiers that were around us who would tell us it was a bad idea so we could go back and think some more but it we our first snowboard manual it was it was really fun that came out with aasi it was a really fun manual it was very different than skiing manual so let's go back to the beginning here and david you'd said you wanted to be a cooler ski instructor snowboarding has really introduced a lot of things to the ski world um Change in skiing, change in how we view terrain, uh, really has brought some real elements of fun. And um, do you feel that uh, having snowboarding and skiing instruction really become one team? Um, have you made us cooler ski instructors? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think... Uh, look, I live in Park City. I'm on the mountain every day. I'm, uh, I don't, I'm not around ski instruction except uh, as an observer. And it, it appears to me as though there's almost an indifference to the gear, uh, a, a cultural indifference to whether an instructor is skiing or snowboarding. Um, uh, I'm not sure if this is relevant to your conversation, but I think this indifference... And, and, and to go back to Yuri, and one of the reasons, one of the the things that I took away from my experience with him is, uh, we we had a, an awareness, and I remember having a conversation at the time that um, instruction uh, really is it, it can be compared so well to music, and it's it's about teaching how to use the instrument, but we're not in you you don't uh, join a band just to play your instrument it's because you want to make music and and, you know what's the output of this process and it's it's much bigger than um uh, than just learning the instrument and and instruction uh i think is teaching the instrument and yuri in the early days pulled us off of um skiing and very much wanted us to express what snow what was snowboarders needed and what we 
he, he kept bringing us off of the ski manuals and off of the ski approach um, to really find ourselves and what it, that meant to instruction. Uh, when I say find ourselves, I mean find out what was special about snowboarding um, that could be taught. Uh, I, I think it's come around now to, as you led, led this off with it, they're not that different. Um, teaching them is not that different. There's just enough difference that people can express their own individuality by which they choose on which day. Um, but I love the circle that it's gone through um, to where now we're just all out there really sliding around. Randy, anything to add in conclusion? I you no, know, I think I, I I'm a fan of AAS. I think we've had a great we had a great go, but the one team thing is so much better. It's, it's, it's such a great thing to be hanging out as one group again. And we, we were all friends in the, in the 80s, and now we're back to being friends again. Uh, it, <laughs> it, it's, it's a good thing. <laughs> Dave, anything from you in conclusion? No, I, I agree entirely. I, I, I love the, the whole one-team approach, and, and just uh, I like uh, where we are right now David Alden, Randy Price, thank you so much for joining us on First Chair. Really appreciate it. Thank you. From the PSIA ASI Studios in Lakewood, Colorado, I'm George Thomas.